War, it's known as the Great World Great War in the years between the First and Second Wars. The fighting has stopped. It was Christmas Day. Begun uh, the night before Christmas Eve with some of the German uh, troops singing carols in their trenches. Yes, along with some patriotic songs too. And apparently some of the British soldiers followed suit. They began to sing carols from their trenches and some British patriotic songs. And this kind of thing went on in various places along the lines of the Western Front. Not everywhere was quiet, but in some places there was peace. It was Christmas. Photos were taken on Christmas Day. They met together in no man's land, some of them. And someone from somewhere, I think, on the German side found a, a football and I understand about 200 of them had a kick around in no man's land uh, chasing the one ball. You can go on the Imperial War Museum website and there's some eyewitness testimonies and so on about some of those events. Peace, but very short-lived peace. Four more years of war. Well, at Christmas time, uh, we like to think of peace, don't we? Who doesn't like to think of peace? And on Christmas cards, you often have peaceful scenes, perhaps snow gently falling and uh, woodland scenes and all these kinds of things uh, that promote the idea of peace. And for a brief moment in our culture, uh, there's still a sense that things are a bit different at Christmas. People are that little bit extra friendly. Perhaps if they're not too much in a hurry in the shops, they'll they'll stop and and chat. Uh, we had some neighbours from down the street um, coming and, and, and giving us a Christmas card. Judging by their names, they're Muslims, but they wanted to give us a Christmas card. Had it up from a couple of of neighbours. Well, everyone's ready to stop. Perhaps a bit more ready to stop and to to have food together. You have a fuddle uh, at work, perhaps. And that's the Derbyshire term that I only learnt when I came here. Bring and share lunch, have a fuddle and a cup of tea with neighbours and so on. Christmas time. Everyone's a bit more friendly and things are a bit more peaceful. But this Christmas, of all Christmases, there's a distinct lack of peace in the world. And for many people uh, this Christmas, there's little or no sense of peace. Many people long uh, for peace, and yet it doesn't come. A terrible wars rage. Don't need to name them. They're conscious. They're all over uh, our news and the and ones that are in the news. There are others that aren't in the news very often at all, but terrible wars in different places. Our own society is fractured in many ways, and there's a lack of peace in people's hearts. How our world needs peace. And what about you? What it's, what's it like in your heart? Uh, you look all very peaceful as I look out at you this morning, but are you at peace in your heart? Have you experienced the peace that God gives? Well, in the Bible, the message of peace is right at the heart of the Christmas story. 
It was around 700 years before Jesus was born that Micah, prophet Micah, received this message of peace from God that we find in Micah 5 and verses 2 through to verse 5 in particular. There's much more about peace in the section that Pete read, but we don't have time to go through all of that uh, this morning. So Micah brings a, a message of peace that's right at the heart of Christmas. And it's this passage that uh, the experts went to when the wise men came to Jerusalem from the east, maybe from Iran, maybe from Persia as, uh, as, at that time as we know it, Iran today or somewhere in that vicinity. And they said, where is the one to be born? And they said, they turned to Micah and they said, in Bethlehem. That's what we read here in Micah. What's the background uh, to this message? This promise of a ruler who brings peace is all the more wonderful when you think of the setting in which it was giving, given by God to Micah. You know, Israel uh, was the nation that God had formed and chosen uh, to be his own People. He'd rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He brought them to that promised land, but now they turned their backs on God and led by their kings, they worshipped idols and they mixed idol worship uh, with the worship of God's temple and that corruption of their faith and that their religion and their worship of God, it led to corrupt lifestyles, the corrupt politics, terrible oppression, great suffering, bloodshed, murder, oppression of all kinds in the nation. And so God sent his prophets. Isaiah was one, a contemporary of Micah. Micah was another one of God's prophets. And he brought much about God's coming judgment. God was going to punish his people because they'd run away from him. He wanted to bring them back to him and he was going to bring, just as he'd said, uh, enemy nations uh, into their into their country and they would face war, uh, see terrible sieges, starvation, many would be killed and ultimately they would go into exile. But with that distressing message of God's judgment, God also gave Micah this message of Peace. What a wonderful thing that would be for Micah himself and those few people who listened and took seriously his message. What wonderful words uh, these are that we've read here in Micah chapter 5. God graciously gives them a message of peace. It's a peace that They can't find by themselves. It's a guaranteed peace that's brought in by the one that God was going to send into the world. Do you long for peace in your own heart, in your own family, in our society, in the world at large? Well, there's only one message that brings peace. It's God's message. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Micah's message of peace leads us this morning to God's peace. 
whether it's for the first time this morning, perhaps for someone here, or whether it's something you know already in your hearts, and yet um, we all need, don't we, to be brought back to this message of peace and to know again and to remember that we do have this peace and to enjoy it again afresh this Christmas. So where does Micah's message of peace start? Let's look at our passage. Micah 2, uh, verse 2. Micah's message of peace starts in a little place. A little place. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, or for me, the one to be ruler in Israel. You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah. Something very special was going to begin in that little place called Bethlehem. It means the house of bread. Ephrathah means fruitful. House of bread, fruitful. But a little place that no one took any notice of particularly. It was five miles from Jerusalem. That was the famous place. That was where everything was happening. Uh, that was the center of politics, the center of worship. But Bethlehem was just an unimportant, insignificant place. Just one among many uh, villages of Judah. Yes, it's true that, that David came from Bethlehem, the greatest king of Israel. But that was in David's nobody days, um, when he was a shepherd boy, before he moved up in the world and became famous. No one paid attention to Bethlehem. If you were going to do something great, uh, wouldn't you start in, in Jerusalem, in the royal city, uh, where the temple was, it's the centre of national life, where the palace is, where the king reigns, but that wasn't God's way. Uh, God's way is to take the small, the insignificant, the weak, and despise things to do his work. There's a childless old couple, and God finally gives them a son. When Abraham is a hundred and his wife, Sarah, is 90. From that impossible beginning, God uh, begins to form a nation as numerous as the stars in the sky. Jacob is a man with serious uh, character defects. And yet God favors him with forgiveness. and He makes him the father of the coming nation. Judah is guilty of great wickedness, but God rescues him and chooses him to be the ancestor of the coming ruler. Genesis 49 verse 10, quoting from the ESV here, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Coming ruler from Judah. David is only a shepherd boy, youngest son of an ordinary man in the little place called Bethlehem. And yet God makes him the ruler of Israel. Well, 300 years or so on from David, 
God gives Micah this message. That you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. For the second time in Israel's history, a king would be born at Bethlehem. And this time the king that was born wasn't a fallible, uh, merely human ruler, but it was God's own ruler, the ultimate king. And so God was going to bring this one into the world in an unexpected way, an out-of-the-way corner of the land. God worked through what was little and despised to bring into the world the most important person in history. And that's the way that God delights to work. He works that way through all the Bible. He's still working that way today. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27, God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh, that no human being should glory in his presence. None of us can boast before God. Do you feel weak and insignificant, uh, Christian? Well, welcome to the club. We're all weak and insignificant in human terms, and we're worse than weak. We're actually sinful. We're actually, naturally speaking, rebels against God. We've disobeyed the God who made us, the God who has provided all that we have, who gives us life and breath, work to do, our families and homes and so on, everything that we have. And yet, yes, we're insignificant in ourselves, but if God has loved us, Enough to send his son into the world to die for, on the cross for our sins. Then we aren't insignificant to God. We're precious in his sight. God's favor and kindness towards us is never something we deserve. The New Testament calls it grace. We are weak and sinful, but God's grace is great and his power is great. You might think, well, what good can come from me? What good can come from me? What good can come from you? What good can come from Castlefield's church? We're so weak, so fragile, so faulty in many ways as individuals and as a church. But God doesn't fail in what he is doing, not even with you, Christian. God is working. He won't fail. It's easy for us, very easy for us, to become despondent when we look at our own selves. When we look inwards, we can despair. And we should despair of ourselves, but we should trust in God, trust in his great saviour. There's so much for us to celebrate this Christmas. When we look at ourselves, when we look at our church, there's so much to grieve over, but we're not on our own. We are in Christ if we're God's people. And we have a great saviour. We need to look away from ourselves to our saviour. But you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are little 
among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Micah's message of peace begins in a little place. But who is going to come from this little place? Well, I've told you already, haven't I, of course. Well, it's a great ruler in, in the words of this passage here. The one to be ruler in Israel. Who would this ruler be? Well, Micah says his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Here is God's man. The one to be ruler in Israel. David's greatest descendant, born in David's hometown. His goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. That's amazing. That is just something we can't get our minds around, how wonderful that is. The one who was going to be born in this town of Bethlehem didn't start there. His life didn't begin when he was conceived in his mother's womb. Yes, his human life began then. But his life was before that, from of old, from everlasting. He was already alive when God gave Micah these words, 700 years before he was born. This is God's eternal son who is coming into the world. His coming forth from Bethlehem was planned from eternity. He had had this mission from eternity. He was going to go forth for God from Bethlehem from eternity. His goings forth were from of old. There in Bethlehem, the Son of God would enter time. He would become a man, that perfect man, God's chosen man, Son of God. And son of Mary. Micah didn't know he would be son of Mary. We know, uh, looking back, of course, the message of Christmas that we've already been hearing about in the last few days and, and, and weeks. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. When would this ruler come? Micah no doubt wondered that as he gave this message to the people. When would this ruler come? And there's a, some enigmatic, some puzzling words there in verse 3. It says, therefore, he, God, shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. From where Micah stood, a whole lot of history uh, had to happen before this child would be born. Terrible times, many of them. Exile, we repeat, read about it. Going into Babylon uh, as God's people. God would give up his people into exile. That was the, the discipline, the punishment that he brought to his people to purify them once more. Only a small remnant, only a small number in comparison Uh, who were left, would return to their own land. The nation then would seem so small and despised, the whole nation reduced, weak and fragile, vulnerable to the nations around them, (coughs) great sufferings, uh, 
uh, to the end of the Old Testament before the beginning of the New Testament. And the sufferings of Israel here are pictured as labor pains, a frequent image in, in the Bible. If you look back to chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Be in pain, labor to bring forth, O, o daughter of Zion. And Jerusalem is pictured as a, as a woman about to give birth like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city, you shall dwell in the field, you shall go even to Babylon. These are the pains coming upon Jerusalem, upon Judah. And yet, those pains and God's purposes would lead ultimately to the Messiah. You can tie that in with Revelation 12. won't go there just now, but the nation, as it were, was going to give birth to God's Messiah. That was his plan all along, but there was so much suffering, so much pain coming, and yet God would succeed in his mission. And so often happens in the prophets, uh, things that were a long way apart in, in, in our terms, in history, uh, from human perspective, appear very close together in the prophecy. So it's sometimes hard to unravel how all these things, certainly from, from Micah's time, we have an easier job slightly looking back, but hard to unpack how all these things relate to one another because it's all one in God's mind, of course. With him, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Galatians 4, verse 4. Well, the world is groaning today, isn't it? Romans 8, groaning as in the pains of childbirth, uh, we look back to the coming of the Saviour, but we still have a world which is so marred, so spoiled, uh, so wrestling with war and disease and famine and earthquakes and uh, sin rampant. And yet, Christ is coming again and he will put everything right. As Christians, we shouldn't expect an easy life. Uh, there is suffering ahead for God's people, suffering in the present for many of God's people. We are relatively relatively free. Yes, we do suffer. We have real sufferings as God's people, real wrestlings. Some in this church are going through real difficulty at this present time, and yet we think of other brothers and sisters in other places, in prison, uh, relatives killed <coughs> for the sake of Christ, and yet better days are coming. Christ is coming back. Not quietly this time in a corner, but for all the world to see. Great noise, the sound of a trumpet and so on. Back to Micah. What does Micah say that this coming ruler will do? Uh, verse 4, he says, He shall stand and feed, or shepherd, that's the word there, shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they, the flock, shall abide. What a tender picture Micah paints there of the coming ruler. Picture of a shepherd uh, with his sheep. Now in the Old Testament, the kings are referred to as, as shepherds of God's people. But so many of them were wicked. They oppressed God's people. They were harsh. They exploited them. Exploited the poor and led the way in wickedness. And yet how different is this shepherd king? Uh, he will be the perfect ruler. His rule is loving and firm and kind. 
he rules with God's own character, with God's majesty, in the majesty of the name of the character of the Lord his God. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. He is the revelation of God to the world. And they shall abide. The flock will abide. The flock will remain forever under his tender care. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's John chapter 10, verse 11. What a delightful, kind shepherd we have. So that's the great ruler who was born in Bethlehem. What will the results of the coming of this great ruler be? This shepherd ruler, according to Micah, will it be peace for all nations. Peace for all nations. How does this prophecy of Micah's end, this section that we're looking at? It says there in verse 4, For now he shall be great, not just in Israel, but to the ends of the earth. And this one shall be peace. This ruler wouldn't just be ruler in Israel for those who are physically descended from Abraham. He will be great to the ends of the earth. Isaiah, Micah's contemporary prophet, lived at the same time as as Micah. Isaiah 49 verse 6 says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles or to the nations, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Listen to Jesus' words. These are Jesus' own words. John 10, again, John 10, verse 16, Jesus says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, and one shepherd. This one shall be peace. Jesus brings peace with God. He deals with the problem of our sin, our hostility against God and God's opposition to us as the holy God who will punish sin. God brings us and God together through Jesus Christ. It's what Paul says in Romans 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, having been justified, having been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This one shall be peace. Now, peace in the Old Testament is more than what we tend to think of as peace. When we talk about peace, uh, we often mean in, in the world today the absence of of war, but peace in the Old Testament is much more than that, much more than the absence of war, more than a, a peaceful environment of the birds singing in the countryside and so on. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew a word that's translated peace is one that we probably all know, shalom. And that means well-being in the fullest sense, not just the absence of war, but well-being in every sense. And there's a wonderful description of this kind of peace in the passage that that Pete read to us earlier, just a, snap, a snippet from it. Micah 4 verse 3 says, 
Yes, end of war, says they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But it's much more than that. Everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For all people walk in the name of his God. That's the false gods. But we, God's people, will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. That's shalom. That is that well-being, everyone having his own place, his own inheritance, uh, fruitfulness, uh, enjoying the plenty that God provides in God's uh, promised land. Peace, no fear, joy, harmony. That is that peace that the good shepherd brings. The fullness of it is still in the future for God's people. We know the peace of God in our hearts and yet around us there is so much turmoil. But we can know that inner peace. We can know that peace even in the midst of difficulty and suffering in this world. But there's a world to come where that peace will be in its fullness, that well-being forever, perfect bodies, perfect joy, walking in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever, bearing his character on our own lives in fullness, in perfection, in joy. This ruler who came and was started his human life in Bethlehem, he brings us peace with God. Have you turned to God? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't look anywhere else for peace. Every other kind of peace will disappoint you. It's the peace that God gives is through the Lord Jesus. Are you troubled in your heart? Are you trying lots of different things? Looking for peace? Well, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest and you will find rest for your souls, that shalom peace, that real, inner, eternal peace that no one can take away, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Peace with God, and it brings about peace with one another, doesn't it? Peace with God, peace with one another. Peaceful relations between people. That's what God's Peace brings God unites us to one another in Christ. And yes, we still need to forgive one another. Uh, we rub one another up the wrong way sometimes, but we are fundamentally united in Christ and we're to pursue that peace uh, with one another. And we have a oneness that only Christ can bring. Jesus has one flock, whether we're Jew or Gentile, we're all Gentiles as far as I know here this morning, but he has one flock. We've been brought into that family of God. Uh, Ephesians 2 uh, says this, Ephesians 2.13, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both Jew and Gentile one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man 
in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, that's us, and to those who are near, those Jewish people that he mixed with in Jerusalem. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you know Christ's peace? We look at a world of war, the strife in the Middle East, many places of the world. There's only one thing that can fundamentally fix these difficulties and troubles. It's knowing Jesus Christ. We need to pray that that message of peace will reach those in these areas affected by conflict and that we may bring peace in our own society, that we be messengers, God's ambassadors of peace in our families at this Christmas time, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work as we come into the new year, that we would bring God's peace, this message of peace, the ruler who was born in Bethlehem that God gave to Micah.